Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. One of my professors has said that you probably haven't preached about grace enough until someone thinks you're preaching about grace too much. And I don't know if I totally agree with that statement, although his response to that, my guess would be that that just means I don't preach about grace enough. But I do think it might be true that we haven't thought about grace enough until we have been offended by it. Because grace, properly understood, is offensive. And that might seem strange because I, I don't know of anyone who is like fully anti-grace and would say so. Uh, We like the idea of grace. I don't think any of us are completely anti-grace, but I do think we can often default into being partially anti-grace, if I can coin a term. Because we like the idea of partial grace, not because we have a problem with grace, but because if if we minimize grace just enough, it gives us at least partial credit. I mean, we all acknowledge that we are imperfect people. Even people who don't believe in God will be willing to say that, yeah, I'm not perfect. We all know we have our own faults and foibles, our own hurts and habits and hang-ups, all the things that that we uh, don't like about ourselves, and we know that if we let them get too out of control, it will cause all sorts of harm to ourselves and those around us, and we want grace to cover up those obvious faults. We want grace when it comes to our addictions, when it comes to the messes that we have gotten ourselves into that we know we can't get a hold of on our own no matter how hard we try, but it seems that most of the time we want grace as a last resort. We want grace if everything else has failed. I mean, we'll fully acknowledge we're not perfect, but at the same time, we, we want to couch that and say, well, I mean, yeah, I'm not perfect, but like, I'm not an evil person. I have some redeeming qualities. I have some good to offer the world. There are some people in the world that like me, at least I think. They'll say it to my face. And when we think in that way, uh, we operate under the assumption that really we just need a partial dose of grace. Like, sure, grace is fine, but I mean, I can get myself 50% of the way to God, maybe even 75% of the way to being right with God, and then sure, I need grace to make up the difference. But I can, get, I can get there at least part of the way on my own. And yet grace, properly understood, says we always need grace and grace alone. Grace says that the best we might have to offer our God is equivalent to showing up to a black tie affair in an old pair of sweatpants. The best we have to offer falls woefully short of what God requires and even falls woefully short of what we think we can offer. What is best in our eyes is usually not that great in the grand scheme of things. And reaching that conclusion is a little offensive to the view we have of ourselves. I mean, if I think I'm a pretty good person when the reality is that I stand as a sinner before God, that's offensive to my self-esteem a little bit. And it tends to be the case that the longer we walk in grace, the easier it becomes to assume that We don't need grace as badly as we once did, or maybe we don't need grace as badly as someone who sins differently than than how we sin. 
I mean, I might have shown up to a black tie affair in sweatpants, but I mean, I've been here for a few minutes now and no one really seems to have noticed. I mean, they're black sweatpants, so they kind of look the same. So maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe I can skate by. Maybe I'm good enough on my own. Maybe I'm at least part of the way to being good enough on my own. But the message of grace tells us that the situation is far worse than we ever dared imagine. And that's actually a good thing. No matter how long we have been walking with Jesus, we never move past grace. And that's a freeing statement to come to terms with. Grace is what gets us in the party. Grace is what keeps us in the party. Whoever we are, grace is what we have. And grace is what we need. And on the surface, that's an offensive statement. And yet if we sit in it, it's the most freeing news we will ever hear. So in the parable we're going to be looking at today, Jesus brings us to this proper view of grace. The story we're going to be looking at today comes at the beginning of Matthew chapter 20. If you have a Bible and want to open it up there, the words will be on the screen here in a few moments when we read our text. But while you're, you're settling in, opening it up there, I'll set the stage for us a little bit because right before this story, at the end of Matthew chapter 19, we are told the story of the rich young ruler. This man who comes to Jesus, he seems to have all of life figured out, seems to have everything together. He, he wants to be a follower of Jesus, so he asks Jesus, you know, what do I got to do to be a part of this thing you're doing in the world? And Jesus tells him, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And Matthew tells us that when the rich young ruler hears this from Jesus, he goes away sad because he had great wealth. The disciples, they, they see this happen and they are blown away because in their mind, this rich young ruler has it all together. He has everything going for him and yet Jesus has turned him down. I mean, if this rich young ruler, he says when he's talking to Jesus, he says, I've kept all the laws of the Old Testament since I was a boy. And if that's the case, and even he is not good enough for Jesus, then how is anyone going to get in? How are we going to get in? If this guy can't make it, how is there hope for anyone? And yet Jesus says it's not a matter of earning your way into the kingdom of God. It is a matter of grace. This conversation, the last verse of Matthew 19, verse 30, Jesus says to the disciples that many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Jesus' kingdom does not look like any other kingdom we've ever encountered. His kingdom turns all of our conceptions and values on its head. This rich young ruler came to Jesus thinking Jesus was starting a religious movement like every other religious movement he had ever witnessed. And if that was the case, since he was interested in what Jesus was doing in the world, then, then he thought maybe, you know, uh, Jesus would be glad to have me come and be a part of this. I mean, I'm in a pretty impressive feather to add in this cap of the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus disagrees because his kingdom operates by grace and grace alone. Grace first to last, grace then, grace now, grace everywhere in between. And that leads into our story as Jesus continues, starting in Matthew 20, verse 1. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, For the kingdom of heaven 
is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last, they worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Jesus describes this scene of a harvest season. And as a lot of farmers know right now, when it's harvest season, you have a lot of work to do and you don't have a lot of time to do it in. And so uh, the, the owner of this vineyard needs workers for the day, so he gets up in the morning, he goes to the town square where laborers would gather wanting to be hired for a day's work. And he's there at, at sunrise, it seems like, and, and hires a group of workers, sends them out at the beginning of the work day about 6 a.m. or so. Now, if this was a normal story. I think it would end right here. Uh, There was a vineyard owner. He had a bunch of work he needed to get done, so he hired workers to do the job. They went, they did the job, they got paid at the end of the day, they went home. That's it. But as we've come to learn throughout the parables, Jesus begins this story by saying, the kingdom of heaven is light, which is a little hint for us that this story is going to be different from what we might expect. The owner of the vineyard goes back into the town square about 9 a.m. And he, and he hires more workers and then he goes back about lunchtime and hires a few more. He goes back at 3 in the afternoon and hires a few more, sends them all out to work in his vineyard. And if the story ended at that point, I think maybe we could still make sense of it. I mean, if the story ended at that point, it would be weird because it would seem like if you're an owner of a vineyard, like you know how much labor you need to get all the the harvest in, but maybe, you know, something else came up. Maybe the owner of the vineyard saw rain in the forecast and so he had to, you know, call in extra work to get all the work done on that day before the rain came in. I don't know. We could could still make sense of it, I would think, but, but we get one more scene to the story. The owner of the vineyard goes into town one more time with about an hour left in the day. And when he gets there, he sees that there are some men still standing around. 
and we're not told why that is. Maybe they're just lazy, and by the time they got up and around and got into the town square, all the laborers had hired their work for the day, and there was no work for them to, to do. Maybe there's something about them that disqualifies them from the work, and all the, the uh, owner, landowners that came to hire workers for the day took one look at them and said, yeah, I'm not getting a good return on my investment if I pay these guys to work for the day, so I'll just let them stand in the town square. We don't know. For some reason or another, no one has hired them, and so the vineyard owner sees them standing around with nothing to do. He tells them, get out and work in the vineyard. But if you notice, the last time it's different because with the first workers, he said, I'll pay you a denarius. With the ones hired later, he says, I'll pay you whatever is right. With these, he says, just go and get to work, and they go. I mean, they're probably hoping they'll get some kind of reward, some kind of payment, even if it isn't much. They might not be able to fully feed themselves and their family this evening, but I mean, hopefully this at least means they're not going to starve. So Jesus has told the story to set up for us these two groups. We have the first group that has done the brunt of the work. I mean, they've been hired at different times throughout the day. Some of them have worked the full day. Some of them have worked less. But we have this group that has put in a substantial amount of work, done the majority of the work throughout the day, and is now expecting to be paid uh, in, uh, in line with the amount of work on that day. And then we have the second group that comes in, works an hour at most, before everything gets wrapped up. And they're waiting to see what they get paid as well. Like at basically every group project that has ever happened in any school that I have ever been aware of, you have these two groups. One group that's done the work and the other group that comes skating in at the end wanting to get some credit. I thought that would get more laughs than it did. Anyway, uh, regardless, the work gets done, the sun's setting, comes time for the workers to be paid. And if you notice, the owner does something intentional in verse 8. He says to make sure that those who uh, were hired last get paid first. And that might not be a big deal, but it does mean that the workers get to see how much everyone who was hired later than them got paid which means that everyone sees that those who were hired last, those who worked an hour at most, get paid the wages for a full day's work. So, I mean, imagine that you're standing in this line. You've been working all day. You've had quite a sweat going out working in the vineyard, and now you're standing in line waiting to get paid for all the work you have done, and you see that those who were hired last, those who have worked an hour at most, get paid for a full day's work. I mean, where's your head at in that, more, in that moment? Maybe at first you're, you're uh, happy, you, you feel grateful that, uh, for these workers who didn't work very much, that, you know, it's sure nice of the vineyard owner to, to pay them that much. I mean, I'm sure they're struggling at home. I'm sure they could use a little, uh, you know, boost of some, to their income of some sort. That sure is nice. But then maybe you start imagining what might be in store for you. I mean, you watch those who worked one hour and then three hours and then six hours and they're all getting paid a denarius, the amount that is standard fare for a full day's work. And you're thinking that, well, they're getting paid that much and, 
and I've worked a full day. I mean, what is going to happen? What is waiting for me when I get to the front of this line? I mean, when you lined up, you were just hoping for enough money to be able to put food on the table that night. Now you're ready to call the travel agent. You're ready to put the pool in in the backyard. You're ready for some, something amazing when you get to the front of this line. And you get to the front of the line, and you receive a denarius. What you agreed to work for at the beginning of the day, I mean, it's the standard wage for a day's labor in Jesus' day. It's enough to feed an average-sized family for one day, but that's really about it before you have to get up and go to work again the next day. The same amount that was paid to every other worker, no matter how much work they put in. Those who worked all day are not happy. I mean, they feel entitled to more than those who only worked a part of the day, which I mean, maybe makes sense. We live in a world that is based around the idea you earn your keep, hard work gets rewarded, the early bird gets the worm, and all those other cliches. At the end of this work day, everyone gets paid the same, and those who put in the most work are offended. If you notice, we're told in verse 12 why that is. They say, if you notice there in the words on the screen, you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. They're not just offended in general that the owner of the vineyard would be generous. They're not concerned that if he continues to show this amount of generosity that his profit margins are going to begin to shrink. They're offended because the payment is communicating something of worth in their mind and paying everyone the same demonstrates that the work of everyone was equal in importance and those who have done the most work don't like that being the case. I mean, they want a bonus. They want a plaque. They want a special parking spot. They want something to show their superiority, and they're not getting it. Paying everyone the same, regardless of the quality or quantity of their work, undermines that feeling of accomplishment. It's more difficult to feel satisfied about a full day's work when someone who worked a tenth of the hours that you worked got paid the same. But despite all our misgivings, the owner of this vineyard apparently does not see things the same way. He says in verse 13, he has done what he agreed he would do. Those hired at the beginning of the day said they would work for a denarius. They didn't sign a contract with a special clause saying if people get hired later, then you'll get paid more or anything like that. The vineyard owner has not done wrong by them by being generous towards others. It's just that the workers of the vineyard don't appreciate him being generous in a way that is different from how they would like for him to be generous. I mean, if he had paid them more than they deserved, he would still be showing the same level of generosity. It's just that then it would be benefiting them, and my hunch is they wouldn't have a problem with that. But because the extra is going to someone else, they take issue. The business model is not one that benefits them. And if we're being honest, it's not a business model that is sustainable long term. You can't just pay everyone for a full day's work regardless of how much work they've done. Pretty soon you're either going to run out of funds or the work is not going to be getting done. But before we run too far with that thought, Jesus gives us the final word in verse 16. The last will be first. And the first will be last. Passage ends the way it began with a reminder from Jesus that his kingdom is drastically different from anything else we will ever find. And this story 
is designed to show us something about this upside-down kingdom, a kingdom that looks like a vineyard where everyone gets rewarded for a full day of work, even if they haven't worked for the full day. So if this is what this vineyard and this vineyard owner is like, maybe those who were hired earlier in the day have misunderstood the one who hired them. And maybe we're in danger of misunderstanding the God Jesus reveals to us through this vineyard owner in this story. Maybe we need to reflect more deeply on the grace shown in this passage so that we can understand who God is and what he desires for us. Because those that worked all day didn't have a problem with the fact that the owner was being generous. They had a problem with him being generous towards those who they deemed less worthy. And being confronted with that was offensive. And if we are not careful, grace will offend us in the same way. We're, we're all probably a fan of grace being shown in the way we would like grace to be shown which is another way of me saying we like grace as long as it's for us. I mean, let's, if we, I know grace is a spiritual word, but if we can take it out of the spiritual realm for a second, imagine that you are on the verge of missing a deadline at work for whatever reason, and your boss gives you an extension. We might say shows you some grace. My hunch is you would be grateful. You might say things like, oh, you don't understand. This is such a relief. I mean, things have just been crazy at home right now. The kids have had stuff going on every night this week. I mean, my parents are dealing with all of these things. You just, you just have no idea how much of a relief this is to just, to just be shown this grace. And yet, if the exact same scenario happened, but it was a coworker, we probably wouldn't feel the same way. I mean, even if they, word for word, had all the same reasons that we would have at their relief for being shown this grace, my guess is we would hesitate. My guess is we would maybe roll our eyes and think, I mean, come on. You're an adult. This is a full-time job. What did you expect? If you can't handle it, maybe you need to go work somewhere else. We like grace when it's for us. We might be offended when it's for others. When Jesus extends grace to forgive my sins, we're grateful. When it's extended to others, we might have questions. I mean, do they really mean it? Haven't they done a little too much? Shouldn't we do some vetting before we start throwing grace and forgiveness around? And yet, God, the owner of the vineyard in this story, is generous. Far more generous than we understand towards us and towards others. For each and every one of us, grace is what we have, and grace is what we need. And that means that no matter how long we have been working in the vineyard, we are not going to be moved into the payroll department. The owner is less concerned with fair wages and more concerned with the workers. And sure, it might not be the most sustainable business model, but it is the one that our God uses. The kingdom of God is like a vineyard owner treating everyone better than they deserve, rewarding them for a full day's work even if they don't deserve it. And that is how our God has acted towards us, inviting us in to be a part of the work he's doing and more concerned with us joining in the work and experiencing the reward of the work than our productivity on its own. This is who our God is. This is how his kingdom 
operates. No matter who we are, no matter how long we've been in the vineyard, no matter how much work we've done in the vineyard, grace is what we have, and grace is what we need. The workers in this vineyard are rewarded for being in the presence of the owner, not because of anything they did. And you and I don't receive grace from God for any other reason than because of the fact that we have come to him. We all need grace no matter who we are or what we've done. I need grace as much as you do. The person who sins differently from you needs grace just as badly as you do. No matter who we are, grace is what we have and grace is what we need. And that is true because of who our God is. This story is our story. No matter who you are, if life is just perfect for you right now, or if life is a complete train wreck, God is inviting you into his vineyard. He's inviting you in because there's work to do, that is true, but that is not the main point. He wants you to experience his grace first and foremost. He wants you to be transformed by the grace that is extended when we come in his presence and then participate in the work he calls us to, not because we've earned it, not because we've done anything to deserve it, but because of who he is. But that way of operating can throw us off because it's not how things tend to work. I mean, the owner of this vineyard is not really acting like much of a boss paying people for a job well done, and that disorients us because I think most of the time, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I think most of the time we would like to have a good boss when it comes to spiritual matters. I mean, a good boss is going to treat you well. He's not going to micromanage you. He's going to make sure you have everything that you need. Sure, he might get on your case once you get out of line every now and then, but for the most part, he's going to set you up to do your job well and then leave you alone to go about your business. What this parable shows us, that God is less like a good boss and far more like a good father. A good father still has authority, that's absolutely true. He still expects things to be accomplished, but he goes about things in a far different way. In my experience, when a good father is working with his children, efficiency does not tend to be the top priority. A good boss will make sure the job gets done as quickly and safely and as cheaply as, as is possible. A good father invites their children to come and be a part of the work even if it means things will take longer and cost a little more. A good father working with their children treats them far better than they deserve. I mean, if, if any employee was as productive on the job as a child tends to be, they're probably not going to be employed for all that long. But a good father is less interested in the job being done well and more interested in the job being done together and rewards his children at the end of the day accordingly. And this parable shows us that our God is not a good boss. Our God is a good father. Having a God who is a good boss allows us to live a life that is partially anti-grace, trying to be good enough on our own and then having our good boss cover up for our big mistakes. And the gospel tells us that our God is a good father who invites us in by his grace and his grace alone, regardless of who we are, regardless of what we've done, regardless of what we think we might have to offer. He invites us to come work in the vineyard, but not so we can earn our keep for the day. It's so that we can be a part of the work and the joy that comes from being in his presence. No matter how long you've been in the vineyard, God desires your presence 
above your productivity. And his grace is the thing that brings you in and keeps you in his presence. This kingdom is not like any other one you will ever encounter. This is not just a kingdom for the productive, for those who have it all together, for those who have a good resume. This is not a kingdom where you earn your place. It is a kingdom where your place has been secured because our Father is good. No matter who you are, grace is what you have and grace is what you need. Yet no matter how long you've been in this upside-down kingdom, there's probably a part of us that grates against that because it seems like there is a big gaping loophole in this system. I mean, if word gets around that there is a vineyard owner who will pay you for a full day's work even if you only work for an hour, aren't people going to start taking advantage of that? Shouldn't we have something in place to keep this from being exploited? And I understand thoughts like that mainly because they're thoughts I have when I read a passage like this. And yet I think they're thoughts that come only if we have not fully understood the goodness of the owner of this vineyard who does not call us employees but calls us children. If we understand who he is, the only natural response is to enjoy the work that comes with being in his presence. We have a good father who invites us to come and participate in what he is doing and that offer comes by grace no matter how long we've been a part of the workforce. No matter who we are, grace is what we have, and grace is what we need. Grace is what informs us as we respond to Jesus and what he has done. So as we close today, I want to leave you with two questions that you can consider as we prepare for communion here in a few moments. They're questions that might be answered differently depending on who you are, how long you've been following Jesus, how long you've been a part of his kingdom, if you are following Jesus or not, but I think they are questions that each and every one of us can, can reflect on in response to this text as we consider what it looks like to walk in life with our God. These questions on the screen, as you can see, the first one is, do I know the grace of God? And the second question is, how can I participate in his work? No matter who you are, what your stance is towards Jesus this morning, I would invite you to reflect on these questions and reflect on the grace God extends towards us as he invites us in to his vineyard. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're a good father who loves us simply because of who you are. That no matter who we are or what we've done, you invite us in to be a part of your family, a part of your kingdom, a part of your purposes in the world. God, we repent for those moments where we think we can earn it, where we think we have earned it, where we think you owe us anything because God, grace and grace alone is the only thing we ever need. So help us be people that are formed by your grace. Help us be people who extend that grace to others. Help us be people that have grace in every part of our lives. We thank you for the grace you've extended to us in your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.